Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. And this is going to be episode 13. Episode 13. But first, previously on the Avenging Hour, uh, last episode, Kang tricked the team into coming to the future so he could make some vague threats to them in person. After the team failed to defeat him and actually helped him instead, they returned to present day and ventured over to Ladveria, where they shot arrows at a nation-sized dome and made Doctor Doom sneeze uncontrollably. And now, episode thirteen. <laughs> I'm not sure your recaps are helpful, but I like them. I like your recaps. I'm, I'm trying to draw some interest. So, if you didn't listen to the last one, you'd be like, "Well, that sounds insane. I have to go listen to that." <laughs> right? That's crazy. <laughs> They're making that up. So we are going to cover issues uh, what, 26 and 27 today. 26. And- yes, <laughs> we are going to cover 26 and 27. And since we ended. Uh, last episode on, on three issues, I get to go first this time. It's so weird. It's really strange. I keep looking at my notes, and I'm like, where are all my notes for this? Year? Oh, that's right. It threw me off when I was taking notes. I'm like, oh, wait, I have to say more than this. I can't just blurt out half phrases of things. Issue 26, The Voice of the Wasp. Hey, it's a wasp. This is uh, still Stanley and Don Heck. Our story begins with old man Steve Rogers trying to explain to the other Avengers how to operate the new, yet immediately outdated, message system that Tony Stark has designed for them. Apparently, their old system of leaving secret cartridges lying around like so many post-it notes on the fridge wasn't nearly complicated enough for their needs. Now they've transistorized microphones that somehow only respond to their voices, and messages that can only be received by dialing a PIN number into a magnetic decoder, which will then show the message on their Visa projector. You know, it's really too bad that the carrier pigeon division of Stark Industries failed to take off. (laughs) But, uh, hey, this system sounds simple enough that your grandma can handle it, as long as she was paying attention to the tutorial. Right, Hawkeye? Oh, that's right. Hawkeye had to spontaneously complete a gymnastics floor routine right in the middle of Steve's telecommunications seminar. I'm sure that decision won't come back to haunt him later. After the AV Club portion of the comic, we get the requisite infighting we've all come to know and love so dearly. Hawkeye and Quicksilver play a little slap and tickle before Cap breaks it up. Thanks a lot, Dad. Before he can be grounded and forced to eat dinner in his room to think about what he's done, Hawkeye says sayonara and hits the town. Since the actual Avengers can't seem to do anything productive except struggle to keep the damn clock from blinking 12 on their new VCR, the action swings to the eastern seaboard, where we witness Namor swimming across one tiny panel. Despite the fact that he's never seen again throughout the entire storyline, this development seems important enough to drive some familiar faces into a tizzy. That's right. Giant Man and Wasp are stranded on a smoldering ship in the middle of the ocean, wondering how to get word to the Avengers that Namor is on his way. Wasp tells Hank to get big and wade back to land, but Hank insists only she can get back to shore in time by getting small and flying there on tiny wings. Now, past precedent would tell us this is possible since she once flew from the woods of Virginia up to Avengers Mansion in New York City to retrieve a ray gun from their lost and found box that one time Kang showed up for no reason. But it seems Wasp may be having too many cigarettes with her morning coffee because her endurance is shot halfway across the waves. She makes a completely sane decision to float on the ocean for a while to catch her breath and is immediately captured by a tuma who she refers to as the Genghis Khan of the undersea world. Like a common James Bond villain, Atuma unnecessarily and inexplicably regales Wasp with his cunningly evil plant to flood the world's cities using his tidal expander machine, which will then allow his water-breathing legions to rule the planet. Then he shunts Wasp off to some glass dome holding cell, leaves her guarded by a blue Charles Bronson in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles costume, and promptly forgets all about her. When the guard predictably dozes off, Wasp escapes. 
despite being warned that the humidity inside the submarine was, quote, higher than a human can long endure, Wasp finds a functioning radio and whispers a distress call to the Avengers ham radio kit. As Cap mobilizes the team, we witness Hawkeye partying in a lounge full of showgirls where he loses his signal ring and ultimately misses out on the nine-page fight scene that wraps the issue. The end. Oh, wait, did you want to hear about that nine-page fight? Yeah. All right, well, let's see. The Avengers ship gets snatched out of the sky by a giant pincher on Atuma's sub. Cap starts bopping baddies with his shield. Wanda gets zapped by Atuma's nonsensical sleep gun. We never really see what happens to Cap, but Atuma brags to Quicksilver about taking out the other two before finally felling him as well. Then Atuma commands his troops to prepare the Avengers for a watery sacrifice. At this point, one of Atuma's sentries points out that the heroes only lost because of a lack of oxygen, and that he heard some other guys saying maybe Atuma wasn't so tough after all. He would never say that, but some other dudes did. Maybe, he thinks. But don't quote him on that or anything. I mean, he thinks Atuma's pretty cool and all, but you know how people are. Well, Atuma's having none of that. He orders the Avengers to be revived and fitted with air-breathing helmets so he can beat them up all over again. Ah, such sweet poison the ego. One would expect in a comic book situation like this that, given equal footing, the good guys would turn the tables and prevail. But this is the Avengers we're talking about. They never defeat anyone. Atuma gains the upper hand as the room floods with water. If only Hawkeye were here to save the day by somehow shooting arrows while underwater. Uh, unfortunately, Hawkeye's stuck at the mansion, trying to figure out how that darn answering machine works. If only he'd been paying attention instead of launching into an impromptu Olympics audition. But wait, what if he used Tony Stark's subliminal recall inducer to jog his memory? Sure, that sounds like a good idea, right? And it'd probably be even better if he left the front door open while he took a quick nap, too. I mean, what could go wrong? The end. Ah, uh, yes. This is, by the way, this is from March of 1966, just to position us in history. So what do you think? We've got... So we've got... Oh, we had a roll call. Still yeah. Cap's kooky quartet. Yeah, we've got the same team. Cap, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch. Yeah, we don't... I guess we really can't count Wasp as a member of the team since no. she really doesn't actually interact with them at all. She's just there, and Hank Pym's just there, and like I said, Namor's there for one panel. Yeah, Cal Ham's really strange. Hawkeye, we said we were going to... Um, if people come back, we want to talk about what they had been doing since they were gone. So I did a quick little bit of research to find out what Hank Pym and Wasp were doing. Uh, let's see. They left in issue 16. And since that time, Giant Man battled an alien criminal known as the Hidden Man, who was using a ray gun to steal scientific knowledge out of people's heads. That sounds plausible. For Giant Man, it does. And, and while he was doing that, Wasp uh, spent her time domesticating an actual wasp which she was very proud of. Oh, and the two of them led a program to introduce fracking to Atlantis, which, oddly enough, didn't sit well with Namor, who trashed their research vessel and probably would have done more had he not been mind-controlled by Puppet Master at the last second and sent butterfly stroking back to Manhattan. That's what we saw that one panel. So so that puts a... So basically, Hank, Pam, and, and Janet haven't had a lot of adventures since they left the Avengers because their title got taken over by Namor. <laughs> right. So they don't, they no longer have a solo title. They were still in Tales to Astonish. They were just guest starring in it at that point. Yeah. But at least that tells us why they're on a boat in the middle of the ocean with no way to get back to shore at the beginning of this issue. Yeah, it was some sort of government underwater drilling thing that he was championing, I guess. And so who are our villains this issue? Uh, our villain this issue is uh, Tuma. Uh, Tuma first appeared in Fantastic Four number 33 in December of 1964. Mr. Atuma is an Atlantean warlord who thinks he should be the rightful heir and not Namor. Is he on a game show? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Atuma. This causes uh, some difficulties at every high school reunion that they attend together. Atuma is basically stronger and faster than any other normal Atlantean, but they never explain why that is. Um, he's constantly coming up with these schemes and 
involving giant machines like we've seen. I still don't understand how Atlanteans build working machines underwater. And he's been defeated by basically a who's who of the Marvel Universe at this point in Marvel's history. Yeah. Even Daredevil took him out once, so... I don't know what that says. Took him out. Did on a show. Yeah, it was, it was nice. nice. Yeah. They went and saw Hello Dolly. Should I tell you about Hello Dolly? <laughs> okay. Though, though, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, early in the issue when Hawkeye, as you point out during Cap explaining this machine, Hawkeye just starts... He starts doing gymnastics. Where'd that equipment come from? Yeah, why Why is there's a pommel horse, there's, there's parallel bars, I don't know why they're in the same room as this machine. Hawkeye just starts doing these flip-de-doos and stuff during the, during the, the lecture and he says, while well, you... Well, I'm going to do this while you make, like, Mr. Novak. What do you know about Mr. Novak? Oh, I didn't look into it. <laughs> Mr. Novak me. was a TV series that ran from 1963 to 1965. So by the time this issue came out, it was canceled. Uh, but basically, it was it was about an English teacher. Mr. Novak was a teacher. So this is Hawkeye saying, you're teaching us things. Wow. sound like a teacher. Nice dig. Well, yeah, right? <laughs> the only reason I even bring it up is because I've never heard of Mr. Novak. I'm like, crap, is Mr. Novak? What are you talking about? Now, again, I'd point out that the, that TV series was canceled by the time this issue came out. But we have to, and this is something we haven't really talked about, the dates that we give for these issues are the cover dates of these issues. So this issue is covered in March 1966. This issue probably went on sale in December of 1965. Yeah, yeah they're usually about three months away. Yeah, and the idea at this point in time was because these were being distributed at newsstands and drugstores, the news dealers and the druggists, druggies? No, I think you're right, druggists. <laughs> would um, would look at the dates on the cover, and when it got to be you know past the date, then they would take it off the rack. And the idea was if you if you if you dated your issues three or four months in in, in the future, you'd get that much more time on yeah, the rack yeah. before they pulled your book. This still continues today, despite the fact that <laughs> newsstands and drugstores do not sell comic books anymore, and comic book stores are wise to their tricks. Do they still put the month on the covers anymore? I know they put the numbers, but I I thought they did. Maybe they I'm not don't. sure. They might have finally gotten rid of that. But so you figure if this was, even though this says March 1966, it probably shipped in December of 1965, and then you figure the lead time for a comic, Stan Lee was probably writing this back in the fall of 1965. Yeah, he had probably written so, the script, and by the time it got drawn out, and then he had to, yeah. So this, this they, you know, that's not, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll see, I mean, comics, I don't think, are ever really known for being particularly topical. In a grand sense, maybe, but yeah, not specifically yes. news events. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's certainly a large lead time between when you, when you start a comic and when it, when it shows up at the newsstand. Well, you mentioned that this, you mentioned a lot of things I was going to mention. You mentioned the wasp uh, deciding to float on the water because yeah. she can't fly all the way to shore. I mean, that's what I do when I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I just, yeah, I'm just going to float here for a while. And, and the floating on the water, so apparently she needs to rest, and that's the best way she can think to rest. That's a bad idea, because Atuma sees her floating on the water, as you mentioned, and you and, and captures her, because, according to Atuma, only a spy would float on the water. Sure. Sure, okay. I wonder how many uh, seagulls he's actually taken captive to. <laughs> <laughs> within, within the next page, he says, only a spy would float on the water, and I must capture her so she doesn't stop me. And then I swear to God, on the next page, he says, even a spy can't stop me now. Well, then why did you just kidnap her? Well, he's got her kidnapped. That's why she can't stop him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, some mariner, Namor, can breathe air and water. Atuma cannot. Atuma can only breathe water. He is not an air breather. I'm not entirely clear why someone who is so, who is unable to breathe air is so often involved in plots where he would take over the surface world. And granted, he is planning to flood 
the surface world. But he keeps saying, all who live above or below the surface will pay me homage. And he wants to attack the very heavens themselves. Dude, you, most of this is, most of the, uh, everything above water is death to you. <laughs> Maybe you should just stay below the water and work on that. My thing with this whole tidal enhancer or whatever it's called is it's not creating more water. So how is it flooding anything? Well, that's There's a, only a finite amount of water. It may, may be moving it around, but it's not going to stay permanently underwater. Yeah, that water will recede. It doesn't make any sense. And again, then you have land, land that you cannot survive on. And I'm no scientist, but I'm not sure how increasing the humidity in the room is going to make it easier for him to breathe. I agree. And and you know that this issue is going to have problems when Atuma is fighting the Avengers and at one point in time he pulls up the floor and shakes it like he's in a Looney Tunes or Scooby-Doo cartoon. Yeah, like it's made out of aluminum foil. I'm like, when it's clearly at least like four inch thick metal. Uh, I know you're strong, but that just doesn't work. That doesn't work anything and it just makes it seem like a cartoon. Uh, that I have nothing else for this issue. Well, I, I back on this... I, so he's in this ship, and he's turned the humidity up so that he can breathe, because he only breathes water. Yes. How high does the humidity have to be for there to actually be water in the air enough for him to breathe? I and, and if he does turn it up that high, how does any of the electronic equipment on the ship work? And how do the Avengers... I mean, I don't... I don't understand why it's a disadvantage for them to have high humidity in the room, but it's an advantage for him. Wouldn't they kind of both have problems? They would both be at a disadvantage. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you and I have both been places... When it's very, very humid. We've both been in Florida in the summer. Yeah, yeah. We know humid. I don't believe if I brought a fish with me... <laughs> He'd be doing well. And yeah. yeah, threw it on the ground. He'd be cool. like, all right, let's do it. I don't think so. No, that makes no sense. The science here doesn't work. Oh, well, big surprise. Shock. Marvel in the 60s. I have a couple smaller points. Please. We see Steve Rogers in a pretty tight panel of his face. And then a couple pages later, when we see uh, Hank Pym, we see Hank Pym's face. It's it's the same face. Ah, uh, so you think Don Heck was taking some artistic shortcuts. I mean, let's not ignore the fact. They, they're exactly the same drawing. There's Hank Pym's face. And a couple... Oh, hey, hey, there's Steve Rogers' face. They really are. They have a different eye color. That's it. It's the same exact shape, the same hair. The same... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Hank Pym's is... Parted to the left, and I think Steve Rogers was parted to the right. It's like a bad soap opera, evil twin thing. Yeah, this is something that I'm sure we'll talk about with different artists. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've voiced some problems with, I'm not going to name the artist now, but I said that sometimes Steve Rogers and Hawkeye look the same in their civilian clothes, and it bugs me. Was it Don Heck? No. No, it's much later. Oh, it's later. Yeah, it's yeah, later. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be artists that we'll see later. I mean, I, I will again say that I, I don't, I think Don Heck does a pretty good job with the Avengers. And again, I would also say that Don Heck was drawing two books at this point in time, which, you know, modern artists... I, I, I have much less patience for this now, when mo most modern artists draw only one book, don't manage to put out 12 issues a year, and get paid a lot more. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving of the Silver Age artists. I just wanted to point it out. It struck me because I turned the page, I'm like, wait, who's that guy? You just Because I kind of look through before I actually read. I'll just page through them to see what's, what's going on with action-wise. just soak it in. I do. I want to just be ah, <laughs> the, just smell the adventureness. My only other plot point is another recurring theme. We have uh, science problems all the time. We have time problems. We brought those up yes. before, and we have location problems. Okay. So we're told Atuma is located 300 miles due east of Cape Hatteras. Yes, that's off the coast of North Carolina. Yes, and somehow both the Wasp and the Avengers ship are able to appear directly over his submarine and get captured. Now, stop me if I'm wrong, but the ocean's a pretty big place. 
Yes. I mean, that's like saying the Hulk's in the desert, and then they fly out to his exact location on the first try. I, yeah, they did that. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't I don't see your problem. So science, and I mean, I guess science is the overarching problem here, but time and location seems to be difficulties with Marvel. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, well, obviously, Marvel in the 60s runs on coincidences. I mean, that's their, that's, that's the, the, the fuel that, that powers the engine of Marvel Comics. Sure, sure. But yes, you're right. It's it's a little silly to suggest that uh, knowing that he's 300 miles off the the, the coast of Cape Hatteras, and well, they're coming from New York, so yeah, which direction? Off some, the coast, some triangulation there. At yeah, least. I understand what you're saying. You have anything else? Uh, no, just to run through the normal things we're keeping track of now. Oh, please. Uh, Hawkeye's arrows? Yes. None. Okay. He doesn't fire a single arrow. Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch hexes. Uh, she makes some of Atuma's uh, warrior's gun barrels split, like Elmer Fudd in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. Uh, what is it with the Looney Tunes thing? <laughs> they're they're, they're issue? ridiculous. Uh, she heats up Atuma's sword hilt so he can't hold it anymore, and she causes this pillar to crumble in the ship, which ultimately ends up flooding the sub, which I think is hilarious. Well, you know, it's all to, her fault. To be fair, she was at a disadvantage in this issue because Atuma's sub has no drapes. <laughs> that's so true. It was a huge disadvantage for her. Uh, she didn't need to worry about the humidity. She was already operating at less than peak power for this one. That's well, I wanted to point out in the bullpen bulletins they mentioned that the September 1965 issue of Esquire included the Hulk and Spider-Man on a list of 28 people who cu- who count most on campus. Nice. And they mentioned that Stanley has been doing radio interviews. So we we keep saying how Marvel is becoming a bigger and bigger deal, like like especially around college age students. And apparently, it's funny to me, it's so weird to me, and I think it's for people that are that have forgotten what life was like in, in Marvel knowledge pre, what, 2006, that for so many years, the biggest characters Marvel had were Spider-Man and the Hulk. Now, you know, you'd throw in Iron Man, you'd throw in Captain yeah, America, you'd throw in Thor. Thor. Yeah. But at the time... And Spider-Man's almost de-emphasized because they right? don't control him completely anymore. So, I mean, you know, it's... it's. But for so many years, it was Spider-Man and the Hulk. I mean, Spider-Man, obvi- for obvious reasons, but the Hulk, and especially in the 1960s, like, you understand in the 1970s because you have the Hulk television show. But in the 1960s, the Hulk, apparently incredibly popular. Which is strange because he couldn't even keep his own book. Right? Very weird. And also strange because he's a horrible character. Yeah. No offense. No offense to Hulk fans. Uh, in the letters pages, was this in the letters pages? Or this might have been in the bullpen bulletins as well. They claim that their letters are overwhelmingly in favor of doing continued stories over done in one. But they say that they they print more of the negative letters in the letters pages, more of the ones... They, 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 they try to give it a balance in the letters page because they say that that generates more interesting mail to them than if they just ran all these... No, it makes sense. It People does probably sense. stop reading the letter pages if they're all glowing reviews. Exactly. So I thought that was interesting, and it is also interesting that most people, despite those people, you still have some holdouts that want only done in ones because of the trouble of, of locating the, the issues the next month. Apparently, most people are really in for the continued stories, which, again, we're going to see more and more and more and more of. Yeah. Yeah, even... Well, I think... I don't remember if it's these or the next episode we do. There's... Things that kind of carry over between storylines now that don't necessarily have anything to do with that. Hard to explain. There's some weird loose ends yes. that kind of keep going through that we hadn't seen before. It's interesting they mentioned that on the Bullpen Bulletin's page. And on the next page, on the letters page, they have a reader from Kodiak, Alaska, who <laughs> writes to complain about continued stories, saying she can't find the magazines. Which, if you live in Kodiak, Alaska, I bet you can't. And uh, they comp her a subscription again, which they like to do in these early years. Boy, boy, you never see that now. They can afford that 12 cents back then. Right? (laughs) 
And there is also the only other letter that I thought was interesting is there was a letter here that uh, likes the good old fashioned Americanism of the Marvel mags. And I, I, I capitalize Americanism because she capitalizes. It's a Mrs. Linda Livingston of Pasadena, California. Uh, basically what she's saying is uh, she basically says how much she likes Marvel Comics. She wants the subscription rate because so they, they have trouble finding every issue. And she says they are both 22. My husband is a college grad. It's always a race to see which of us can spot the new issues first. Boy, oh boy. 22-year-old. Man, what a marriage. Right? <laughs> Two 22-year-olds and all they care about are Marvel Comics. That's a good fun. One of the main reasons we both like your books is that they contain something hard to find these days. Good old-fashioned Americanism. Again, all caps. Her cap's not mine. Keep them coming. I don't know what that means. She doesn't explain what it means? Nope. There's a guy in it named Captain America. Maybe that's what she meant. I guess. Or she doesn't actually read the comics. Uh, Stan, and it's so funny because we talked before how Stan Lee, when, when people start talking about his patriotism, tends to get really serious. And yet his response there is we will keep the mags coming mainly because you asked us and also because we have a lot of good old-fashioned American creditors. So it's weird that in this case he didn't go with a more serious route. Well, it's because no one called him out on it. And then he, they say he says, we love, we love you, lady. That's when he gets all defensive. Is when that is call true. Out stuff. All right, now i got nothing else. Okay. So MVP? None. I picked the Wasp because she sounds the alarm, and while the other Avengers are in the sub getting captured by a tumor, she leaves. Do we actually see that happen? No, but we find out next week. Exactly. You're cheating. They completely forgot about her. <laughs> Useless character? Uh, Hawkeye. Of course. He, he argue- He's not even there. So all he does is argue, and he literally misses the boat. Yeah, he just does some gymnastics and... Refuses to. Is this an Avengers level threat? It really shouldn't be. Yeah, this is tough because Atuma himself is not an Avengers level threat. Nobody. But he is leading an army of Atlanteans. So I kind of think maybe he is. Yeah, but he does. None of the Atlanteans fight. He handles the Avengers on his own. But theoretically, Atuma and an army of Atlanteans is an Avengers level threat, isn't it? I mean, he's threatening the entire planet. Well, my answer was it really shouldn't be. Granted, but I don't know. I kind of feel like it is. What uh, what grade did you give it? C. That's what I gave it to. It's, there's nothing... Here's the problem with this issue, and you may have noticed that this was relatively quick. The problem with this issue is, it's fine. It doesn't have anything ridiculously over-the-top and annoying. Well, it has a few, but not as many ridiculously and annoying over-the-top things as we've seen in recent issues. And yet, it's not that interesting. No. Atuma has never really worked that well for me, because at the end of the day, he is just a water-breathing barbarian with a sword. That I just don't care about. He's not interesting. And we already know that Kooky Quartet's not all that interesting. No, we're pretty tired of them. I can tell you that. I'm pretty tired of them by this point in time. So we're going to move straight to issue number 27. Yeah, do it. Issue number 27 from April of 1966 is called Four Against the Flood Tide. This is again Stanley and Don Heck. Hawkeye is trying to use one of the ridiculously conceived creations that Avengers Mansion is packed with to remember how to use one of the other absurdly convoluted devices in that same mansion so he can figure out where his fellow Avengers have gone. He succeeds and is just about to listen to the message when he's attacked by the Beetle. During the fight, Hawkeye manages to retrieve the message, cluing him in on his teammate's whereabouts, he then subdues the beetle and beats feet to fight his friends. The other three Avengers are still engaged in battle with the Tuma, and the arena in which they fight is now being flooded. This completely invalidates the entire point of this contrived fight, but no one cares and the battle continues to rage. Meanwhile, the effects of Atuma's machine, which is causing the tides to rise, is being felt on the surface as the seas become extremely rough and choppy. As the Avengers Atuma battle continues to rage, Quicksilver is ejected to the surface by one of Atuma's henchmen. There he is found by Hawkeye, 
and the two prepare to go below to aid their fellow Avengers. The two travel in an aerosub that Hawkeye had borrowed from the Fantastic Four, but before they can find their missing teammates, they are discovered by Atuma's forces and an underwater dogfight breaks out. The two aquatic Avengers lure their enemies into range of a ginormous squid, which attacks the Atlanteans while the Avengers make their escape. The Scarlet Witch and Captain America have been recaptured by Atuma by this time, and are trying to figure out how to wreck his title machine, though they be but prisoners. Quicksilver and Hawkeye have found Atuma's headquarters as well, and they crash the aerosub into it, then leave it behind to begin searching the vicinity for their friends. The Atlanteans try to stop them at every turn, but to no avail. Cap and Wanda hear that the other Avengers are aboard and realize this is their moment, and they manage to escape from their captors. They fight their way to their embattled colleagues, and reunited, the four Avengers escape in the aerosub. When Atuma tries to use his title machine to stop them, he finds out that Cap had sabotaged it, and the machine explodes, destroying Atuma's base. The Avengers return to their headquarters, triumphant, only to find an alarm sounding, one that tells them there is more adventure right around the corner. That's it. You know, I mentioned at the end of the last episode, we have a really bad habit of teasing things in episodes to come that don't actually happen. (laughs) (laughs) Or that aren't all that exciting anyway. I had mentioned at the end of the last episode that that was the last time we were going to see Cap's kooky quartet, that we would be getting back Wasp and Giant Man. And while technically Wasp and Giant Man do come back, neither of them are in this issue. And they were barely in the last issue. So you lied again, basically. Is what you're again. I mean, I, they did come back. We saw them. Yeah. not on the team. But. Yet. Spoiler alert. They're coming up. Next day, Next time. Next episode, I swear. I've read them. They're there. They will be back. So this issue, we again have just Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch on the team. Our villains are Atuma and the Beetle, though they're not working in cahoots that we are aware of. And, of course, we also see some Atlanteans running around. Yeah. The Beetle! This is the first appearance of the Beetle in The Avengers. The Beetle first appeared in Strange Tales 123 in August of 1964. The Beetle's name is Abner Jenkins. He is a mechanic. Uh, I want to just really emphasize he's a mechanic who manages to come up, manages to devise a suit of superpowered armor that looks like a Beetle. He, well, loosely. <laughs> he dons this armor, which he used to fight the thing in the torch. He fails miserably. Since then, he has fought the Torch again and has fought Spider-Man. He has never done very well. And this issue, he fights Hawkeye and also doesn't do very well. We don't really know why he's fighting Hawkeye. We'll find out more about that next issue. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the strange loose ends. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with this storyline. Nothing. It has something to do with the next one. I will say a couple of things about the Beetle before I move on. I want to say one thing about the Beetle. He has always been one of my favorite villains. Okay, so here's what I want to say about the Beetle. I really like the Beetle. Awesome. I can't believe Excellent. you like the Beetle. No one I likes have the Beetle. I have his first appearance, that Strange Tales issue you were talking about. I've been a huge fan of his for years. Um, and he's been used, the Beetle, part of the reason that it's easy to like him now is because he's been used to great effect over the past 10 years in Marvel where they've kind of reformed him and made him a hero and blah, blah, blah. But even as a villain, I liked the Beetle. Oh, yeah. And this, the Beetle has, the Beetle is probably known to anyone that knows him from the 80s and the 90s and the early aughts where he had a more streamlined streamlined armor the armor he's wearing now <laughs> is his older armor and I adore it because he's basically wearing green pajamas giant purple wings with a helmet with two little eye slits and two little antennas yeah, there's no way you can see out of that thing. that serve <laughs> no function um, and these these purple gloves that have three fingers with suction cups on them with suction cups on them I love this armor. First of all, it looks ridiculous. But in a way, 
that I kind of like. And second of all, I like what it could do. The other armor is more powerful, but the wings on this armor are very durable. Yeah, you so he can, shield. he can use them as a shield. And I love the suction cup fingers. They I don't, stretch. Yes, which he can stretch out as well. It's, <laughs> Again, science, it, none of it makes any sense. No, but I, I've always like I have always had a soft spot for this beetle armor. And I like the newer beetle armor as well. Again, I like the beetle. Here. But I really like this stuff. Here's my thing about this old armor. And I, why why were artists never able to draw better looking uniforms for these people early on? It doesn't look to it, me. It's almost like they tried to make it look like it was made out of stuff that someone could actually buy. Which, like, like his, you said, it looks like pajamas. I I see it as looking as like a uh, not a not a jumpsuit. Yeah, like a jumpsuit. Yeah, like a pilot would wear, or like a mechanic would put overalls on, kind of a which makes sense. Coveralls, sorry, coveralls. And it's funny that you say that because if you look at this original armor, it is believable that this mechanic found this stuff lying around. I mean, I don't know. About yeah, it looks like pieces of sheet metal that he could have welded together, yeah. and maybe you know, like part of a welder's helmet. Except for the suction cup, suction cup fingers that stretch out, that part doesn't make any sense. But. I love the fact that he has antenna on his helmet. Spoiler <laughs> alert, those antenna do nothing. Nothing at all. But I guess they make him look more like a beetle? Beetle's, uh, he's been in the Marvel Universe a lot. He was part of one of the Masters of Evil. He, he gets, was part of one of the um, Sinister Six at one point, one of the incarnations. Or uh, the Sinister Seven, or the Sinister, Sinister Twelve, whatever Sinister it was. Syndicate. Okay, yeah. I knew he fought Spider-Man in a group of people. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the Beatles, you know, for, for for Marvel, the Beatle is a perennial Marvel flunky, and as a he gets a lot of work. But he's like a he's he is a he is around a lot. You know, more like an upper tier flunky though. He's not like Porcupine or, or one of those other guys. He gets more just respect. like gimmicky. Yeah, he's actually stuck around and he's well. There, there's a wonderful miniseries from the I think the early '90s called The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is all about the Sinister Syndicate, uh-huh. and he is great in that because he's always been a character where like he's not. He's not, especially in his early appearances, he's not necessarily a nice man. But he's not some crazy captain psychopath. Most of the time, he's just trying to make some money. Right. He wants he wants he wants money. That's it. And I really like that as opposed to you know I I have I, I have little patience for the jokers and the carnages of the Marvel and DC superhero universe who just want to kill everybody who just want to kill. I, that's not, it's not interesting to me. And it, and it makes sense that the Beetle, because he's he's relatively level-headed, you understand why why bad guys would continue to hire him, even though he doesn't have the greatest track record of success. I, I like this fight in particular because you know I'm a huge fan of Hawkeye and I'm a huge fan of Beetle, and it's, you know two of the few superheroes that wear purple fighting each other. And it's a decent <laughs> fight. Yeah, I, I wish the Beetle you know would have done a little bit better, but it is a decent fight. Though it is interesting to me that Hawkeye beats the Beetle and then just leaves him at the mansion. <laughs> the Beetle just walked in the front door anyway. He doesn't. Which- Always happens at the mansion. How long would it have, called, would it have taken Hawkeye to call the cops? Right. Just call the cops, Hawkeye. Idiot. Uh, and do you, you don't have anything else about the Beetle. There are no other villains. Where Atuma's already there. Yes, yes. Like there's no other villains. Um, at the end of the last issue, we were told that Hawkeye had slipped into a deep and helpless coma. And yet, the opening page here, they tell us that the machine works in a single split second. There's, there's really no explanation for that discrepancy, well, except we, that Stan Lee probably just forgot. And we've had this issue before. We had it uh, with the Enchantress. No, we have it when Cap quit the team after the Enchantress Power Man thing, where at the end of one issue, they say Cap quit the team because he's sick of the... Cap says, I'm quitting because I'm tired of you people bickering. The next issue, the previously on box, says he quit because he led the team to defeat. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not why he quit, Stan. I mean, 
just keep a copy around the office of the last issue and look through it. Yeah, it's really strange. Um, I the, I have really no notes on this issue as well, but I do want to point out here in this panel box that Stanley says. Meanwhile, we've got some more amphibiotic. Sorry, amphibiotic action. Amphibiotic. Am- amphibiotic. Amphibiotic. I don't think that's a word. It is a word. No, amphibiotic really? means that you. But but he's not. Using <laughs> but it's not the right word. <laughs> amphibiotic means that you have a larval stage in the water and then a land stage later in life. So the animals that are born in the water and then move on to land, those are, are amphibiotic. amphibiotic. That has nothing to do with what he's talking about. Mm. Stanley, I think, sometimes outsmarts himself. Well, he wants to sound smart. Yes, yeah. and he's not always as smart as he wants to sound. Sure, sure. I have nothing else until we get the bullpen bolts in the letters page. <laughs> okay, all right. I've got a few things here. Uh, I already talked about the Hawkeye thing when Beetle attacks him. <laughs> Did you notice uh, part of their dialogue when they were fighting? Hawkeye tells the Beetle that he's going to send him a no prize. Does he really? Yeah. How in the world did I miss that? Well, goody for you. We'll send you a no prize in the morning. That is wonderful. Nice to kind of break the fourth wall there. Yeah. Uh, and then, is this where... Oh, that very next panel. So Hawkeye gets away in the next panel because he pushes a button on a wall and makes the wall open up. And we're told there are countless... Uh, the countless emergency buttons dot the wall. What? Which you would think that's not a good idea. Because if you have countless buttons on the wall, it suggests that your entire wall is buttoned. And you have no idea which one you're pushing. Right. And all a villain has to do is just go wham, wham, wham against the wall, and who knows what's going to happen? Who builds countless emergency buttons into the walls of their mansion? That seems oh. very strange. The Starks are a weird lot. Uh, do we ever... We don't in this issue ever find out why the beetle was there. No. We just, never find out in this issue. He creeps into the end of last issue as like a shadow over Hawkeye's sleeping body, and then he attacks Hawkeye, and Hawkeye leaves him there, and that's it. We and our listeners will find out in the next episode. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything there. No, but it is very odd, because we've never seen something like that in this book so far. Yeah, so we've had two issue stories, but they're always yes. self-contained two issue stories. Yes, we've never had a mystery like that that is not, we are given no indication of what the solution is. Still, they're starting to strip the stories out. We're starting to see, you know, in modern comics, and it's not even modern, you certainly will see it in the in the eighties, but even in the seventies, you'll see plot threads that may drop ten issues before they come before they, they finally develop. Yeah. Uh, you're beginning to see I mean obviously this isn't ten issues because we're gonna find out next issue what's going on with the Beatle. But it is something that, that we're gonna start to see. Uh, we find out here that uh, the Fantastic Four has an arrow sub. I didn't know that. Well, I kind of figured that the Fantastic Four have anything they want because Reed Richards just builds whatever he wants yeah, out of paper true. clips and uh, in the fight with Atuma, can can Quicksilver swim fast as well? Apparently, well, which makes a certain amount of sense because Quicksilver moves. It's not just his legs that are super fast. Really, Quicksilver is super fast. But I just assumed it was because he was running. I didn't. I know it's not an equal comparison, but when you see the Flash, the Flash is running, and it's yeah, but because he's flash, fast. But when the Flash like vibrates through walls, he does that by vibrating his entire body quickly. Or when he when but he moves through time by that. Do he, do we ever see Quicksilver do anything else faster without using his legs? I'm relatively sure we will see it at some point. In time. Okay, right. I can't. I cannot be specific. But it I'm just not, kind of struck me because they, whenever they show him using his power, he's just a bunch of he's just kind he's of, just a bunch of like green. Speed yeah, and you see him underwater. It just seemed strange to me because I know you know a normal person trying to run underwater is going to get slowed well, way down. So, and but that is the thing, or that is a thing uh, I think with this is that Quicksilver is still moving super fast underwater, and he would be slowed down. Yeah, no matter whether his entire body is super fast or not, you're underwater, and the resistance of the water. I mean, it doesn't make any sense 
I don't understand how a tuma fights underwater because I don't care how I don't care if you can breathe water. Right, you don't have fins; you can't move any better than a yeah, normal person. You're still subject to water's resistance, yeah. whether or not you can you can breathe underwater. You're still built like a human. Sure. So I don't understand. I, I really I think uh, underwater Atlantean stuff, in my opinion, starts to get a little iffy. Uh, yeah, at too close. Atlantean stuff underwater is all iffy. Uh, what the hell is a Y ray? Who uses the Y rays at a tuma? Uh, yeah, he rolls in a tank. Or something, and it's going to shoot a Y ray. Is is that one level worse than an X ray? <laughs> Does it hurt? I, it, he makes some comment about how like anything that gets struck by a Y ray can't survive or something. I he is. This is the problem again. This is a problem, with, and these are problems we've talked about a gazillion times, and we're going to have them until Stanley leaves the title. Science, and that is <laughs> that Stanley just makes stuff up, and he doesn't. Wait till we do the Fantastic Four podcast, if you think this is bad. Wait, yeah, let's wait for that. Every issue, Reed Richards has cooked up something in his lab, and then you get the issues with Richards and Doom, and it's just crazy town. And speaking of science, I guess Captain America's a scientist now, too. Because yeah. he gets into Atuma's control room and knows what to do to reverse the controls. Like you, in your write-up, you said he sabotaged it, which would make sense... Being an army guy, you know, he could have put some explosives on it or cut a wire or made something, but in this, Kang he, actually, or he actually says, oh, I reversed the... Really? <laughs> I know you love Kang. But we, did I say Kang again? You did. We've Kang. left Kang behind. I know you and Kang have a thing. I hate Kang. <laughs> I just can't get him out of my head. I, I love the strategy to for um, Captain America and Scarlet Witch to escape. He basically tells Wanda to pretend to faint. That's good use of a female character there in the 60s, right. Captain America. Well, they'll believe it. Sure. If Captain America fainted, the Atlanteans would be like, it's a ruse. But if the woman faints, they're like, well, of course she would faint. When Atuma's people start... Uh, when the tides start rising and the surface people start freaking out, we see a, a shot of a sea captain or a That's some sort of government official. And there's a there's a two with like a sea captain's hat on. So what's that first bottom panel there? They're in like a maybe like an office on the boat. Or is it on a boat? We're on this boat. Oh, okay, right. So there's the sea captain and some other random dude. I don't know why he has a telephone on a boat. Well, we'll get this then. But then the next panel, the sea captain's in the background, but there's a newscaster talking. Well, okay. What is the sea captain doing there? And it was the newscaster on the boat with them? Well, maybe they're not on the boat because here they're talking. I was but just I trying to understand the artwork. It was very strange. Because this is this is Hawkeye right. leaving in the aerosol. And then the next panel, we see a boat and somebody's giving a mayday. Is this on the boat? Because he has a phone. Well, no, because if you read that, the guy's saying, it's the sixth SOS in an hour, so that must so be the boat radio and shore. Back to shore. Okay. And there's some other sort of sea captain in there, but then there's a newscaster. And Chet. why is that same sea captain? Chet Brinkley. Chet Brinkley. I have notes on Chet Brinkley. <laughs> I do. You'll, you'll find this interesting. That was actually my next point. So you can't figure out that art either. I don't know why the sea captain's there. I would assume that the sea captain... I thought maybe he was looking at the TV, but it doesn't make sense because he's behind the reporter. Isn't that the same sea captain as was in this panel? You look at him. Because they kind of look like the same sea captain, but I'm not entirely sure that they are. One of them could be Steve Rogers and one could be Hank Pym. Well, I'm thinking, What color are their eyes? Can you see their eyes? I'm thinking maybe that this sea captain is an expert who's been called into the news program being to give by, expert by, testimony by Chet Brinkley. on what, the, what, what water is like. So anyway... News anchor Chet Brinkley, as we see here in Marvel Comics, is actually a combination of the real-life journalists Chet Huntley and David Brinkley, who co-hosted the Huntley-Brinkley Report from 1956 to 1970. The Huntley-Brinkley Report, aired for nearly 3,600 episodes, earned eight Emmys and multiple Peabody Awards during its run. 
1965, the news program brought in more revenue than any other show on television and was the first weekday news program broadcast in color. The show was known for its famous sign-off where the anchors said goodnight to each other and then goodnight for NBC News. It's also the inspiration for that movie, Good Night, Good Luck. Good I'm luck, really good disappointed. Night. When you said a famous sign-off, I thought you were going to say they said goodnight to each other and then hug. <laughs> no, because most of the time, interesting fact, they weren't even in the same place. Everyone thought that they were like good friends that spent all this time together, but they were usually broadcasting from different locations. So one of them would say... Good night, David. And he'd say, good night, Chet. And good night for NBC News. And that was how they signed off for him. They weren't in the same place? Yeah, weird. Weird, right? I, but I thought they were friends. They're not. They didn't even know each other? <laughs> They've never it's even like, met now. My entire childhood is a lie. They barely spent any time together. And my last note... So they were like the Siskel and Ebert of Nightly News. <laughs> my last note is, what about Wasp? Right? What about She's Wasp? She's not in this issue at all. They nope. were sent last issue to rescue her... And we haven't seen her since she radioed to them to say she needed rescue. She escaped. So we're told eventually, but we don't know that this episode. They never even mention her. Never even. I think I think Hawkeye or somebody says something, or maybe it was Quicksilver. Someone brings it up as they're getting back into the aerosol to leave. Someone says, you know, what about the wasp? And Quicksilver makes some comment about, oh, I... Ran all through the sub and couldn't find her. That's the whole thing. It's like Stanley remembered at the end of the issue. Oh, ooh, the wasp. <laughs> uh, letters pages? Let's talk about the bullpen. I don't have these, so I let's talk about the bullpen bulletins. And the bullpen bulletins, they mention that the Fantastic Four sells thirty-three million copies a year. Wow! Now, if you figure that they they had twelve issues, twelve issues a year, that's nearly three. Yeah, two two point seven five million copies an issue. Two point seven five million copies an issue. Those people who know comic sales now know that the the top the top selling comic book most months. Sells no more than 125, 150,000, and that's in a good month. So 125,000 to 150,000 copies an issue versus 2.75 million copies an issue. That's a lot of copies. There used to be a lot more, a lot more comics sold back then. I mean, yeah. we've been reading. I've been reading since the early 70s. Um, I remember, you know, the market pretty much crashed in the 90s. Yes, they used to sell a million of every issue. Sure, because they, of the speculators, and then when everything fell out, people left in droves. Part of the problem, and, and we could spend an entire episode talking about part of the problems with why comics don't sell like they used to, why they sell a tenth of the numbers that they used to sell, uh, less than a tenth, a twentieth, a twentieth of the numbers that they used to sell. But part of the problem is also what saved comics in the in the late seventies, early eighties, and that's the rise of the direct market. Yeah, because the problem, quite simply, is you can't buy comics anymore at the newsstands and at drugstores. You you can get them at comic specialty shops, and most people don't go to comic specialty shops. They don't know where they're at, or if they do know where they're at, comic specialty shops are not interested in traveling to them. Yeah, you can find a, a few comics at. You know, Barnes and Nobles and other chain bookstores, but nowhere near the selection. And I think another problem is, and of course there's inflation, blah, 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 but when these comics came out, they were 12 cents a piece. Most comics today are $4 a piece. Right. And while certainly 12 cents meant a lot more back in the 60s, I still think it was easier for kids to take a quarter and go get two comics. Now, you know, you need a $10 bill to go get two comics, and I don't think that those are... I yeah, it's an obvious... Yeah, you know, you needed a dollar fifty to get a whole year's worth of comics, and now you need... You can't even get half a comic with that. You're right. And also, if you try to get a half a comic, yeah, most they, of the, They will let you. They tend to... You know, when you start ripping them in half, they get kind of angry. I know. I'm like, I don't right. need the back end. Who cares what... You know, oh, you rip them front to back? I usually rip them top and bottom. That really throws things off. So, anyway, I, but I did think that was interesting. On to letters. 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 I only have one letter that I want to talk about. Oh, well, one, I have a few, so let's talk about the one you want. I, I think I have okay. four, so you talk about the one you want. Uh, did, you, did you have any notes on the letter from David Bladso of Glendora, California? 
Which one was he? I don't He's know. the one that wants the old Avengers back, and he wants them to create another title called yes. the Re-Avengers, oh my which God, is yes. hilarious. I Stan basically tells them that's a silly idea, because then people would want this Avengers, and that Avengers, and this Avengers, and new Avengers. Yeah. I mean, really, why would anyone want more than one Avengers title? Or, yeah. or more than one X-Men title? Or more than one Spider-Man? Or, or Wolverine? Or yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that the, his idea is if you bring the original Avengers back, you could have two Avengers books. And as you, as you said, <laughs> They said, eventually do 20 years later. They do so many more later. But I, I also agree with you that it was funny that he he says of all these Avengers titles, one of them he chooses is the new Avengers, which in 2005 became an Avengers title. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that. I like that. I also do want to point out that I like the idea of more than one Avengers title, but Re-Avengers is one of the stupidest names for a comic yeah. I've ever heard in my life. Everyone always points out that the Avengers is a dumb name. Like, what are they avenging? Yeah. It would seem like the Avengers would be bad guys because they're avenging being defeated or something like that, but... Yeah, Re-Avengers is even worse. The that just sounds like these are leftovers. <laughs> like, reruns, or uh, we're going to reheat what we had for dinner last night. The Avengers is one of those names that sounds great until you think about it. Yeah. Like, it sounds wonderful. The Avengers. But then you think about it, and you're like, wait a minute, what? They don't do any anything. It's dramatic yet empty. Uh, they also We also have a letter here from a gentleman that goes to Harvard University. Oh, for, 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 for. Who uh, talks about the commie bashing that we keep, that keeps coming up again and again in his letters pages? Uh, he tells Stan that Stan's tales go for emotions, and what he should be doing is giving logical reasons why communism is bad. Now, thanks, Harvard. That that's why that's why people react to them the way they do. He says that the con- Stan's using the methods of the communists who use emotions to try and convince their people that the free world is bad. That's why it took so long for comics to be recognized academically. Uh, what I do like about it, though, is Stan gives what I think is his most reasoned response to a discussion of communism in his letters pages. He doesn't get overly jingoistic in that one? Yeah, what, basically what he says is uh, that we don't feel it's our job to explain why we're the good guys and the commies are the bad guys. That's a function of other media. I'm, I'm not so sure that I understand that logic, but maybe what I understand... Means, maybe it means the news. As well as the home, the schools, etc. Perhaps we're just naive, but we figure if our government sees fit to send Americans overseas to fight the communists, we're reasonably justified in occasionally using them as villains without writing a detailed political manual. So it was jingoistic. I I was wrong. Sorry. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Although, by the same token, we're not entirely, we're not actively engaged in a hate the Reds campaign either. We pray for the day when all nations and all forms of society will share this wonderful planet of ours in peace and brotherhood. I do not remember Captain America praying for the Commissar. <laughs> no one, no one prayed for the Commissar. <laughs> so anyway, but I thought it was... And, and you know, I, it, it is interesting where... I, I mean, to an extent, I agree with Stanley in that it's not the job of comic books to be teaching youngsters why this or that is bad. But at the same time, I'm not sure why he thinks it's the job of other media to do that. Why is it the job of TV or radio or whatever to do that when it's not your job, Stan? To me, that seems like passing the buck. Mm. Someone writes in about Quicksilver not being disintegrated when he ran into Kang's disintegration screen. Yeah. And what what's, what I love about this is that the gentleman that writes in says, in Avengers number eight, when the Avengers fight Kang, disintegration screen... Uh, that's the one that Thor throws his hammer at. And it doesn't disintegrate the hammer. Because we learned that it only... It was only designed to disintegrate earthly matter or something like that. That was the excuse for that. What what blows me away is that in Stanley's response to this letter about this error, he says, anyway, the screen Kang was referring to in issue number six. Stan, it's <laughs> issue number eight, 
And it's in the letter you're responding to. It's right there. There's another. Uh, there's another letters column. I think it's in our next episode where someone defends someone else's letter, and Stan basically says, "I don't remember what letter you're talking about." Like he doesn't even know. I <laughs> but I'm just like, are you responding to the letter? Just look at the letter. And then uh, there's one more letter here which says that they should have a Hawkeye Black Widow relationship. It would be like a Hank Jan relationship. So it would be yeah. really boring? I don't think we want to encourage that kind of relationship. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, let's not go there. They do actually have a relationship, and it's much more interesting than Hank and James. So, um, MVP this issue? Hey, hold on a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I get to say it to you. Oh, oh, oh sorry, oh, sorry. Arrows. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we Hawkeye went crazy with arrows in this issue. He had a flare arrow, a bolo arrow, a gas capsule arrow, which I believe all of those he used against the beetle. And then uh, he doesn't call it such, but I believe he did another one of his blast arrows because something exploded. Uh, as far as hexes go, Wanda just removed Cap's shackles. She basically used her hex as a handcuff key. That was it. That's like it. I know. I still don't understand that. Does it give the shackles bad luck? I, I don't know. Uh, do you have an MVP? I do. Who'd you pick? Uh, but I have a question mark behind it. I picked Hawkeye. Only because he kind of shows up, he saves Quicksilver, he crashes the sub and like facilitates them. But it's true, and he, be- and he beats the Beetle by himself. Right. So yeah, Hawkeye. I pitch Quicksilver basically because he can run underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really feel like anybody stood out, and I like Quicksilver, so I picked him. All right. All right. Uh, useless character, Scarlet Witch. Uh, me too. She's a girl. She she's when, it, all she did was faint. Uh, that's all she did. It, and let's be honest, in a case like this, she's the default. If I yeah. can't think of anybody else I'd yeah, well, back to the Scarlet the, the answer will never be none for useless characters uh, Avengers level threat yeah. we'll back to this I'm going to still yeah. say yes you're still yeah. going to say maybe it doesn't seem to be as much of a threat when the whole team is there so I'm going to say probably not an Avengers level threat and what did you give it for a final grade? still a C it's I gave it a B- because it had what? a beetle Oh, nice. I give it, I'm going it up to, a little bit because right. of the Beetle. Because I right. really like the Beetle. Okay, I yeah. mean, you'll notice that I didn't have a lot to say about these these two issues. I just... They just... They both struck me as being so bland. Yeah. But the Beetle pages are my favorite pages. Some of my favorite pages we've seen in the Avengers so far. When he stretches his little suction tippy fingers, and I recognize the ludicrousness of it, but I'm willing to accept it because it's fun. It's got energy and it's interesting. And if I, I could deal with the craziness in this book more if it was more fun than it normally is. Well, if people like talking about the Beatle, then they should tune in next episode. Why would I say next episode? We got the Beatle again. Oh, really? We do. And he gets even stretchier fingers. It's crazy. Does he really? Yeah. His fingers stretch all the way around the world. Crazy. That's all I got. So, this has been episode 13. Uh, find us uh, on in the internet at, at avenginghour.com. All of our information is there for contact and such. I don't want to give a big long spiel about all the different places yeah. they can find us, because it's all on that page. All right, then. Well, hey, um, but you can find us on Twitter at Avenging Hour. Yes, at Avenging Hour. Sure. You, can go, Whatever. you can go to iTunes. You can, you can rate us there. You'll find us. It's Avenging Hour. <laughs> you can go to the internet. It's going to be stubborn now. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah. Bye-bye.